Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and always a pleasure to be joined by the head of Canadian equity at Phillips Hager and North and fellow coffee lover, Scott Lizakowski. Scott, uh, just in, a, in our, our pre-discussion before we started taping, you uh, you look wired today. You're full of uh, full of energy. You must have had a double, uh, double shot of espresso plus this morning. Well, Dave... Uh... Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. I'm. I'm. Uh, this is a bit of a road game for me. We're in in Whistler uh, for a couple of weeks with my family, and so I've been dealing with uh, drip coffee um, from a machine that I'm not quite familiar with. But uh, so I, I, to combat that, I do a few extra scoops in there just to get the ratio uh, dialed a little bit more. So and then I had to get the kids off to their uh, dance camp this morning. So yeah, we're we're ready to go. We're we're fully caffeinated and ready ready to talk stocks here and and we never never want to set expectations too high for a particular podcast but i got a great feeling about this one you uh <laughs> they, they can't see you on video but you're 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 ready to go so let, let's get right into it uh because a lot going on and and, and we, we talked to you a lot about uh the numbers and the the risk reward trade-off and how movement in markets in different periods of time can sometimes give you some guidance around what you should expect going forward. So we talked uh, in a previous podcast, and you can go back. Uh, all the podcasts are, are there wherever you download your podcast, and you can go back to some of Scott's previous appearances. Uh, one in particular earlier this year, we were talking about how there was very little volatility last year uh, across all markets, but the TSX in particular, which historically leads to a year where you have all kinds of volatility. And, and boy, was that ever a... Uh, uh, prescient in terms of of the experience we were going to have this year, but now we've had, uh, particularly over the last uh, month or so, since the Fed raised rates and it had a real impact in commodity prices, and we'll finish there. We, we've really seen uh, the Canadian markets uh, drop off in terms of of relative performance, and so when we look at the year, uh, Canadian markets are off quite a bit. When markets are off, as they've been that changes your outlook for the future. So why don't you dig into some of the numbers that we, we were talking about be, uh, before sure. we started recording? Sure. Yeah. So just a, you know, a quick recap year to date, the TSX is down just over 10%, which doesn't seem so bad given the volatility that you've talked about. Um, especially when we compare it to some other equity markets, S and P 500 down 16, NASDAQ down 23, but that's the year to date um, really doesn't tell the entire story. What, what, you know, you're referring to is that, Sort of since the beginning of June, um, the TSX has has really underperformed, um, and it really is just the flip of the things that drove the the strong performance. Uh, so in the first half of the year, energy uh, was you know one of the only sectors that was up on the year, and because Canada has a lot of exposure to the energy sector, that sort of drove the returns. Uh, but since the beginning of June, we've had a a pretty big flip. Whereas energy and materials, they're they're actually the worst performing sectors. Uh, they're sort of down 15 to 20 percent. And you have sectors that are still economically sensitive, uh, you know, technology and industrials. They're actually up slightly during that time frame. So an interesting dynamic at play. Um, and so while Canada is, is ahead of some of the other global markets on a year to date basis, on a three month basis, it's actually, you know, pretty meaningfully behind the three month return for Canada is sort of down 12 percent. And that would compare to the S&P 500 that's down seven or the NASDAQ that's only down six. 
that's that's pretty bad. In fact, that's one of the worst three-month periods uh, for the TSX in history. So if we go back and look at all the three-month periods going back, I think 40 years down to the back to the early 80s, this would be in like less than the fifth percentile for returns for the three-month uh, for a three-month. So very short-term window, but a very uh, steep and and bad short-term window of performance, which. As you mentioned, we we had we got a break from volatility last year, but we're certainly getting it back um, uh, this year. You know, here's some good news though. You know, when you look forward from those, you know, when we're sort of in that bottom, you know, fifth percentile, the forward one year forward return. So if people are wondering, you know, if I put my money in today, what what's you know what's likely to happen or what could happen? The the average the likelihood of a positive return from from when you have these really bad three month periods is fairly high. It's in the sort of uh, you know high seventies eighty percent range, and the the average return one year forward is is around ten percent, which is which is pretty good. And it also it's really good when you compare it to the the you know the one year the average return of all periods for the TSX is about seven percent. So we've had a pretty significant, severe and sharp drawdown. If we're going back to the beginning of June, that's like a month and a half. And you have that bad three month period, which goes back a little bit further. If you put money in today, you know, going forward, you're likely to have a positive return and you're likely to have a return better than the long-term average. So not a bad time uh, to sort of be thinking about, uh, you know, putting some, some money to work. Um, you talked about some of the scenarios. So at the beginning of the year, um, you know, so, you know, from our bottom up research process, you know, we build up scenarios for each company and then we can kind of roll that up to a, a kind of a forecast for the market, which I think I always say we're not too, um, you know, we don't get too focused on the precision or accuracy of our for- forecast, but it does give a sense of the risk reward. So if we go back to the beginning of the year, our base case return, which is just sort of, you know, w- you know, would have reflected a, you know, recovery from the pandemic, a, a, you know, a modest recovery from the, from the pandemic. You know, continued economic growth, inflation would would have been in that sort of transitory camp uh, assumption. You know, we only had sort of five to six percent returns to our base case. Um, you could maybe get to eight or nine percent to our bull case, which would have been a very robust recovery, and we would have had pretty meaningful downside, about twenty percent downside to our bear case. And at that time, um, at the beginning of the year, we weren't our bear case wouldn't have contemplated a recession. I don't think anybody was. So when we fast forward to today, where you got the you know year to date, the TSX is down 12%. So we're sort of mapping to that bear case scenario if we're down 12 and we're only halfway through the year. So we update our forecast. That's what we do. You know, um, the, the old super forecasting, uh, uh, you know, motto is uh, forecast, measure, revise, and repeat. So we revise our forecasts. So our base case is sort of, uh, you know, uh, a skate through, uh, not so much a soft landing, but just sort of we, we make it through. We actually have better returns to our base case today. They're cut, you know, in the nine-ish percent range. Um, our bull case, which would be probably a soft landing scenario, so I wouldn't assign a ton of probability to it. But you get that scenario, that's going to generate over fifteen percent returns. And our bear case still has sort of fifteen percent downside, but we've revised our bear case much lower, and that would include uh, some level of recession, probably not a severe recession, but some level of economic slowdown. And some form of recession. So the risk reward is not a, it's not a sort of a slam dunk. The odds aren't completely stacked in your favor. They're certainly better than where they were at the beginning of the year. And when you combine that with some of the statistics I was quoting about this really steep drawdown period, it does kind of set up for, 
um, you know, a sort of more favorable outlook. I don't, I don't think we're out of the woods yet in terms of recession, inflation, all the things to worry about. But I do think that the risk reward has improved significantly, even over, over the last sort of, you know, one to two months uh, for, for the Canadian market. Yeah, and let's let's be very, uh, very precise here, because I, I know lots of our, our, our friends from uh, from a compliance perspective are always uh, always listening in here. Uh, that that expectations are not a guarantee. That's right. What, yeah. we're, what we're trying to do is create different scenarios and the likelihood that those scenarios could play out. So our base case is what we would say is the most likely scenario to play out. And then we have a bull case that has a, you know, a probability of playing out and a bear case. And one of the things we'd say very much as a caveat right now, we're typically we're fairly confident about our base case because there's so many things going on around the world right now, so much movement uh, that 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 we don't have the same high degree of confidence in that base case that we normally would. So we're still in in a position where a lot of different things could play out over the near term. But what's important to think about from an investment perspective, and so I talk to advisors about this all the time. So you're in the middle of a, of a really rough first half of the year from an investment perspective, really now, no matter where you invest. Energy was kind of a bright spot for a while. Now it's come back down to earth. When you're deciding to deploy money, right? You're, de- you're deciding to make a purchase or, or, or invest, right? That's, that, everyone thinks of that as a purchase investment decision. But if you think about it, when you're holding, when you're in an investment right now and you decide today to continue to hold that investment, you're, you're effectively buying that investment. And what's happened in the past is, is all baked in. What's important now is looking forward. And, and again, when you have significant moves in market like this, what it always will do and what you need to keep in mind as you're making that daily purchase, am I staying in, am I purchasing, am I purchasing? is what's going to happen from today forward. And when you have a downdraft like we've seen, and this is an unusual one where we've seen terrible returns in both fixed income and equities in the first half of the year, it generally improves the outlook going forward over the next 10, 20, and 30 years. And that's what you want to think of uh, from an investment perspective. So uh, that's no solace to any of us who have been invested. Uh, through the first half of this year, but it does change the thinking that goes behind your next decision, which is to stay invested or to sell or to buy more, right? That's that, just, giving, just giving that perspective. And, and we always prefer, as, as Scott suggests, to be in a situation where the reward we're getting for taking risk and that trade-off is more uh, in favor of us uh, than it was at the at the start of the year. Is is that a have, yeah or, or have, no have no I that's, ca- that, captured your thinking there? That you know that's a great way. You know, um, I'll steal a line from from Stu, who I think is on vacation. So uh, shout out to Stu's days. Uh, I'm a huge fan. But you know, Stu will say the stock market is relentlessly forward looking. So while we don't know if we'll be in a recession, I mean, it seems like signs point to increased risks. The stock market has been contemplating that for several months now, and it's sort of the beauty, I guess, and the beast of, of the stock market is that because it's always forward-looking, it's thinking about increasing the prob- increasing and decreasing the likelihood of a recession or no recession or what type of growth rates or et cetera. 
uh, in real time in a very rapid basis. Um, and, and, and so what happens is the, by the time you, you know, you are in the midst of a recession, the stock market is already discounted a lot of that. Maybe, maybe not enough, maybe too much, who knows? Uh, and it's already starting to contemplate what it's like on the other side, which is like really, really difficult for the average investor because they're the newspaper and the headlines are so terrible. The markets are down, but as professionals, our job is to understand the scenarios. So, and so we don't know what's going to happen. And these, these, these numbers I'm quoting, they're not guarantees by any stretch, but it's, it's really a proxy for, well, how much of the bad news is being priced in? That's why we do the scenario analysis. We can't predict the future. So we think about this and we think about the world in scenarios we think about for each company, like what's a, what's a recession look like for this business? Earnings, balance sheet, valuation, all those considerations. And, and then what is, where's the stock going to trade? Okay. It's going to be at, you know, at this price. And once the stock is trading there, you know, things could get worse, no doubt, but a lot of the bad news is priced in. So, and then the returns, you say, wow, what does this company look like on the other side of a recession? It looks really, really, you know, the, the share price is much higher. And so the returns, your downside to your sort of bear case is, is pretty low and your upside to your base and bull case are, are reasonably high. And that gives us a little bit of confidence to sort of say, okay, this is a very attractive opportunity for us. And that's what the stock market is doing basically in real time. We're trying to sort of forecast that forward. So um, it's, it's tricky to do, but uh, it, it is our job and we are professionals. So that's, that's what we work our hardest at on a, on yeah. a daily basis. Kind, kind of think about it. If, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm in a fight, so say I'm in a, a UFC fight, right. And I, and I get in the ring and, and I'm fighting valuations and uh, I, I get in the ring with valuations that are big, high, big, huge, big, huge person. I'm going to fight. Uh, I, I, I don't like my chances as much. There's still a chance that I might, uh, I might get a lucky shot in and win that fight. And, but, but it's, it, it's uh, it's more likely that uh, that I get beaten up. The the, the, the other fighters, the same size as me, valuations are fair. Well, then it could go either way. It's about 50-50. Get in a fight with, with someone half my size. I like my chances, but could be some kind of jujitsu karate expert or something and, uh, and, and clip me and, and, and I, and I still lose. So the odds start to tilt in my favor, but there's still a chance that, uh, that an unusual outcome could happen. So one of the things, just to just to finish up, that we, that we wanted to talk about, uh, in terms of something that may be tilting in the favor of Canadian markets, is actually what's been causing the issue to begin with in in the TSX, which has been this dramatic drop in commodity prices since the Federal Reserve announced their rate increase of seventy five basis points in in the middle of June. Uh, we we I, we talked about this with Stu on a on a previous uh, on a previous podcast. The you know copper down uh, from five dollars to to three thirty. I think it's trading at today. Uh, natural gas at one point was down nearly fifty percent. It's recovered quite a bit. Oil is down from you know one hundred and twenty five into the mid nineties right now. Uh, you, you were talking about fertilizer prices or or what goes into fertilizer, agriculture, right across the commodity spectrum. Huge drops. But the stocks have been hit even harder on, on this drop. So can you explain that why that may have happened? And then how does that potentially set up as things stabilize uh, for, for better Canadian markets? 
Yeah, yeah. I was just having a chuckle of the visualization of of you in the uh, in the UFC. I'm not a big UFC guy, but guys like you and me, we should we should uh, we'll stick to the golf analogies and yeah, and stay out as of the, the UFC. As, as, as the old song says, uh, you know, we're lovers, not fighters. That's right. So yes. Yeah. So yeah, we're investors, the, not fighters. Maybe that's that, a better. Yeah, that's that's right. a better line. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the commodity space has been a bit trickier. So, you know, if we, we went back to the beginning of the year, we were talking about the potential for a super cycle, you know, of, of a commodity super cycle. You had increasing demand as we come out of that sort of pandemic um, and lack of new supply, which is sort of a, you know, a more of a secular issue, you know, due to significant uh, reduction or just lack of new investment to bring on new supply, whether you're talking about copper, oil, um, you're just not seeing the investment. There's a there's a kind of a whole story there, but um, you're just not seeing the companies reinvest their their cash flow to to bring on new supply. And commodities are the most basic supply demand equation. And so you had rising demand, and you didn't have increasing supply, and that created some tightness. And it showed some very strong and fairly robust commodity prices at the early part of the year. Then you have the 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 events with with Russia and the Ukraine causing commodity prices to spike because you've taken you know those you know there's some pretty big commodity production in that part of the world so you're taking even more supply out of the equation and you get into that the scarce very scarce uh shortage or the market is you know uh, concerned about scarcity and shortages and you have that price spike so when you think about commodities the basics are the signal the price is sending a signal so when the price is high and and robust then it's signaling to producers, hey, this is a pretty good time to bring on some new supply. We're, we're running out of, out of inventory. Demand is increasing. But when you have a price spike, it's actually, I actually think it's quite bad because it's actually saying, okay, we're not getting, the signal isn't getting through on supply. We need to start doing something to demand. And so a price spike is, leads to demand destruction, which, which you know, um, if we were on the podcast in, around that time, I probably would have been saying things like, you know, spiking commodity prices is a pre-recessionary type of event. And I would be more concerned about a recession with oil going up. And that was a really tough thing for the Canadian market because oil going up is actually, you know, a lot of energy uh, exposure in that market. So the stocks were going up, but I was worried about what we've sort of just seen. So if we go into recession, the demand is going to get hit, whether it's oil, copper, natural gas, fertilizer. And you know, commodities, because a lot of commodities really, it's, you know, the storage is tricky. So the price swings around uh, quite a bit. So if you have even just a modest slowdown in demand for, say, oil, that's probably one to two percent of the the daily demand. It's enough to cut the commodity price in half. Um, and we've seen that in the, in the past. Um, so that that's a bit of a tricky thing. So I think when you're thinking about commodities, it's important to think about it in, we always use this term, parsing of timeframes. You have to understand what's happening in the short to medium term. And by that, I mean, you know, sort of the next six, 12, maybe two years and the long term, which, you know, when you're thinking about commodities, the, the life cycle of these assets is quite long. If you're going to build a copper mine, it's going to probably take you five to 10 years to bring it on. If you're going to build a large scale offshore oil uh, uh, production, it's going to take you several years significantly and, and, you know, billions of dollars of investment. So it's a very long cycle, not only to build the assets, but also for the person who is building the asset to recover the capital that they spent up front. You spend all the money up front, 
and then you harvest the cash flow as it comes on. So there's two time frames. So the short to medium term is the demand destruction that's potentially coming from a recession. So that's why commodity prices have gone down. The stocks tend to lead and kind of go down more. There's they're, they're a levered instrument on the commodity. And even though we've gone down, you know, sort of 20, 30, in some instances, 40, lumber's down 50% from its highs. Um, the stocks go down lower because, again, forward-looking, they're thinking, wow, in a recession, oil could go to 40, 50, 60 bucks. So they're sort of thinking about that. I don't think the oil stocks have quite got that bad, but uh, and, and I don't think copper has either. But they're sort of going past the spot price. They're like, wow, this could get a lot worse. So that's sort of what's driving this dynamic today. It's really hard to say, you know, if we are going into recession, there's probably downside to both the stocks and the commodities from here, if I'm going to be completely honest. But the trickier thing is, and that sort of goes into that, you know, forecasting and scenarios, there is still downside to our bear case scenario, and that would include the commodity sectors. But it's it's the trickier thing, I think, is the long term, because that that sort of secular issue has not changed. If anything, I actually think that this type of volatility and uncertainty around the commodity prices if, is going to make the producers even less you know, inclined to invest. You know, if you're a CEO or sitting at the boardroom table of one of these large commodity companies, whether you're a big uh, metals producer or a big oil company, a uh, big fertilizer producer, you know, it's going to be a really difficult decision to say we're going to spend several billion dollars um, of capital outlay in a very uncertain environment from inflation, uh, economic outlook, and and the commodity price was really high. Now it's down. It couldn't, you know, and we were just in a pandemic. It was they were all even lower. And you you need to make a forecast for the next ten years because it's going to take you ten years to get your money back. So I think they're going to this recent amount of volatility is is probably making it even harder for them to make that you know new supply investment. So actually. You know, I think that we may see continued volatility, maybe um, that sort of the secular, the long term view and in the lack of new investment and bringing on new supply maybe means the, the floor for commodity prices is higher. I, I you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to say with any certainty uh, it remains to be seen. But that's a that's a dynamic that, um, you know, we're, we're contemplating quite deeply and, and not entirely sure. Um how it will play out, but it's something we're giving quite a bit of thought to because that dynamic has not changed. If we go to a recession, if anything, you know, uh, I know it's not great for the Canadian market, but commodity prices coming down actually takes the leave one of the levers off the inflation, which is the big, it's the big burning fire right now that that central banks and and you know everyone's trying to solve that equation. A reduction in commodity prices actually kind of helps that equation. So if we could put that fire out. But we do need to think about that secular lack of new investment and new supply. And, you know, once we do come out of a recession, demand for all these commodities that we're talking about will increase back up again. And uh, if we don't have that new supply, we could be back into uh, a, a rising commodity price environment. So I don't know if the super cycle is dead. I just think we have to think about it in two parts. It might just have a little bit of a breather and we could be coming back to it uh, on the other side of this uh, economic slowdown, whatever that looks like. Yeah, really fascinating. But perhaps the next time we get you, uh, we get you back, we'll just do an entire podcast on the super cycle, and uh, and start to talk about that and 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 my favorite bicycle when I was a kid, which was a super cycle. So uh, so we'll, we'll get into that as well. But uh, at, at, as as we set the expectation at the front end, 
two over-caffeinated guys have run long. So we'll cut it short there. Uh, have, uh, have a great rest of the summer and, uh, and we'll catch up with you. Actually, we'll catch up with you before the end of the summer. We'll get you, get you on about a month from now. Uh, thanks as always, a, a really, really great, great backdrop for uh, lots of stuff for investors to chew on as they're making decisions around their portfolio. So thanks, Scott, as always. Great. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. Take care. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.